Welcome to episode number 30 of the Raw Food Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Jane, aka The Rotarian, and in this episode, we're going to be talking all about how to simplify raw food recipes. So I'm going to talk about three main subjects on this episode. We're going to talk about knowing your food groups, for example, that you you might need sweeteners, you might need thickeners, you might need something creamy, you might need something to bind a recipe together. So we're gonna talk about the different types of food groups that you'll need to know. Then I'm gonna give you some quick and easy rules about certain ingredients that you can eliminate or swap out for cheaper or more accessible ingredients. And then lastly, I'm gonna give you a good example of how I would approach simplifying a recipe uh, using my little strategy that I have been using since 2009. So without further ado, let's stay tuned and I will be back with you shortly. So in ramping up to this, my 30th 30th episode of the Raw Food Podcast, I started looking over some of the subjects of podcast topics that I'd recorded over the last 29 episodes, and they're a bit of a mixed bag. We have some guests on the show. We talk about some things related to motivation. We talk about specific instructions for how to make certain recipes, but I thought one of the things that I actually was kind of surprised that I hadn't shared yet was really just talking about some basic tips to help you make simple satisfying recipes yourself. So in preparation for this episode, I kind of identified three main subjects that I thought are crucial to this topic. So the first one we're going to be talking about is really related to knowing your food groups. And I'll just touch on that briefly right now before we dive in. So that kind of means you need to have some basic understanding of what certain ingredients do. For example, if you start simplifying a recipe and think, ooh, don't need that, don't need that, don't need that, you may end up with a recipe that tastes crazy or that doesn't stick together or that isn't doing the right thing and it just is a disaster. So I've had many of those little disasters of my own and I want to share with you some of the main groups, food groups that we'll talk about specifically with regard to what you can and cannot substitute. Then secondly, we're going to just share some easy rules and tips for stuff that is easy to take out right off the bat or that it is is easy to substitute for a different ingredient. And then lastly, I'm going to give you an example. We're probably going to talk about zucchini bread and how I would approach it myself. For example, if I knew I wanted to create a zucchini bread recipe, how would I go about doing that myself? So I'll just share my strategy for that as well. But first, let's go back to that first topic called knowing your food groups. And I have made a little list here. And first, I'll just outline them all so you know where I'm going to go with this tangent. So I have identified the concept of sweeteners, thickeners, creamy-ers, creaminess, um, creamy-ish. Let's call it that. So, you know, something that makes a recipe creamy. And then what I'm calling binders, which are ingredients that help the recipe stick together. So, and there's so many of these quote unquote food groups. I'm doing air quotes here, people, that I could talk about. But these are the first four and I didn't want to overwhelm us with too many food groups. So first, once you start simplifying a recipe... And actually, maybe let's just take a little step back first. 
Why do you want to simplify a recipe? Sometimes you're in a rush. Sometimes you might be like me and you might feel a bit overwhelmed when you see a huge recipe with 29 ingredients like one teaspoon of cayenne pepper and three teaspoons cumin and with all these crazy ingredients. And sometimes you might not have those ingredients or perhaps you just want to have a very basic recipe that's kind of like a, a staple. Almost you can think about bread in the traditional sense, not even raw bread, but you know, you could make a loaf of white bread or you could make raisin almond delicious bread or cheese bread or garlic bread or whatever. But sometimes you just want to have a basic recipe like bread and then you can experiment yourself. So usually, for example, if you were making traditional style bread, I don't know why I'm using this as an example, but it seems to be making sense for me. Sometimes you can easily, if you have a really good white bread recipe, you can turn that into cheese bread by adding cheese. You can turn that into raisin cinnamon bread by adding raisin and cinnamon. So sometimes having a really nice basic base recipe allows you to get really creative on your own, but you want to be starting with a good base recipe. And that is what I see a lot of my recipes as. So I might have a very basic salad dressing or a very basic cracker recipe. And I don't like to include a lot of spices to overwhelm you. I know that you're smart enough that if you love garlic, you can probably add a clove of garlic to a basic cracker recipe. If you you know, want to make it spicy, you know that you can add a little sprinkle of cayenne. So I try to leave out all those extraneous little flavor twists just to keep it simple. But the way I do that is by making sure that I know my food groups. So for example, if I'm trying to think of, um, let's use a hypothetical example, I want to make some nice sweet cookies, just a basic cookie recipe in my dehydrator. And I could review many different cookie recipes, but of course I know that it's a cookie recipe, it's going to need to be sweet. So I can't just start eliminating whatever ingredient that's going to give me the sweetness. So if I'm looking at some recipes to get inspiration and I see that some are sweetened with dates or some are sweetened with agave nectar or with bananas, I know that I have to at least include some sweetener if I'm making cookies. So I know that perhaps if the recipe calls for bananas and dates and a sweetener, I know I can probably double up on one of those things. Um, and But it, as long as I'm kind of keeping the right ratio or level of sweetness. So that's the first thing you need to keep in mind is if you're making a sweet recipe, you need to understand that you're going to not be able to cut out your your sweetener. You can certainly reduce the amount of sweetness in the recipe, and I do that frequently, and that's quite easy to do. But you want to include, make sure you're including a sweetener if it's a sweet recipe. <laughs> Sounds obvious, but when you're just starting out, that's an important thing to consider as the level of sweetness, really. Now, secondly, if we're thinking about a recipe like a pudding, we need to think about the thickness of a recipe. For example, most raw puddings would be made in a blender and they're usually, you know, could be a bit liquidy when you're blending it, almost like a smoothie. And then usually you would refrigerate your pudding and then it would solidify in the fridge. But you sometimes, depending on the recipe, need something that's going to help the pudding thicken. And in many cases, if I'm making a pudding, 
I might use chia seeds to give it a thickness. Chia seeds act a bit like tapioca. They absorb a lot of moisture and they become thick. And I have many chia seed recipes at therotheron.com. So that is one type of thickener. Some people use Irish moss. Uh, someone was actually asking me a question about that t today, in fact. And Irish moss is a type of seaweed. And I don't actually use it much. I have purchased it. I have some in my cupboard. But to make a long story short, it's quite labor intensive to soak it, soak the seaweed, rinse it, you know, turn it into a um, a gel, etc. And I have used that as a thickener in the past, but I don't recommend it. Um, mostly just because it's quite time consuming. And for me, I'd way rather just throw some chia seeds in uh, the recipe as a thickener. Uh, another thing that I use to thicken as well would be coconut oil. So really, as a reminder here, the second food group that we're talking about is thickeners. So that could be used uh, in an icing, for example. You might need it to be a little bit thick so it will stick or in a pudding, as I mentioned. So when we're talking about substitutions, we just need to make sure that if you're trying to make a pudding, for example, you don't think, oh, I don't have chia seeds. I don't need those. Well, maybe you do, because otherwise, if you don't use a chia seed or some kind of thickener, it's just going to be a big soupy mess and it won't be pudding. So that's an important food group to consider. The third one is very important. It is the one I was calling creamy-ish, creaminess, creamy-ism. I don't know what the correct plural word for multiple levels of creaminess is, but this could be in so many things. We all love to have a good creamy soup. So let's say a uh, cream of mushroom soup. I have a great raw recipe for that. Another, uh, you might want to have a creamy pudding. You might want to have a creamy pie. You might want to have creamy ice cream. So there's creaminess is something that's very important to me and is crucial to a lot of different recipes. Even, for example, a salad dressing such as a raw ranch dressing. How do we get that creaminess in a raw vegan format? So for me, a common, a few common creamy ideas would be I use cashews a lot. I use avocados and frequently cashews cashews and avocados could be used inter interchangeably for creaminess and frequently I do use cashews more because I find avocado for me I tend to grocery shop about once a week and frequently my avocados get funky or I don't have one in the house whereas I do have quite a few cashews in my pantry so I can easily just grab a little scoop of cashews for creaminess Another great way to get creaminess is to use a nut butter, and I especially love tahini for creaminess. I don't particularly like the taste of tahini per se, but to me, I almost call tahini, I, I, I liken it to butter. For example, in the traditional standard American diet, nobody really would gnaw on butter or just eat spoonfuls of butter, but the addition of butter in a recipe helps to provide creaminess. So even if you're not a huge fan of tahini in its basic format. And tahini, of course, is simply another word for ground sesame seeds. That's really all tahini is, is sesame seeds, those tiny little white seeds ground up 
uh, and crushed and that's what tahini is but it's very thick and oily and awesome for creaminess um, but I'm not going to say that you can just use tahini anywhere cashews or avocado is called for but when you see tahini in a recipe generally it's providing creaminess and of course bananas are very creamy as well they're used frequently in smoothies or I love to make what I call raw soft serve ice cream which is frozen bananas and maybe some other fruit that I then process in a food processor but I do stress that for creaminess you're going to need one of these or there's a few others as well but these are definitely the top creamy contenders for raw food recipes so again bringing it back to the simplifying and making your own recipes if you want something creamy and you're trying to reduce the complications of a complicated recipe you might see one of those things and that's a little red flag in your head to be like mm, avocado maybe if i don't have a avocado but I could substitute for something creamy because probably the avocado is providing that in the recipe. So for example, let me contrast sort of a bad way to think about that. You could see, oh, avocado, it's a vegetable. Maybe I could just use kale instead, but that is not going to turn out well, I promise you. So really, that's a little bit, probably more than you ever needed to know, but that's about the creaminess factor of knowing your food groups. And the last, the fourth food group, so remember at the beginning we talked about sweeteners, then thickeners, then we just talked about creaminess, and now we're talking about binding agents or binders. And really these are just the ingredients that help to keep a recipe holding together. When you think about cookies or even um, maybe a pie crust that you're making or frequently almost anything that you do in a dehydrator like a cracker, a pizza crust, a veggie burger or that kind of thing. It needs to have some kind of binding agent that's going to help it stick together because you if you think about it, you know how sometimes when you have a little mixture that maybe you've processed in your food processor and you try to pack it together with your hands, Either it doesn't stick together and it's all crumbly or it sticks together very well like a traditional, sorry for the vulgarity of people, but like say a hamburger patty. You know how that just like, it's been a long time since I've touched a hamburger patty and I am a vegan, but you know, it will stick together. So really that's what a binding agent does. And in those especially dehydrated recipes, you need those. So a common binding agent almost probably the top one used in raw recipes is flax seeds or flax seed meal which essentially is flaxseed meal it's just ground, ground up flax seeds so that is a very very common binding agent so if you see a flax seed in a recipe that you know is going to need to stick together uh, and many people do not like the taste of flax. It does have a bit of a bitter flavor. It's very distinct flavor and it really affects or colors the other, um, you know, the flavor of the whole recipe. So flaxseed though, that is why it's included in there. Sometimes you might see it included in, you know, a smoothie or something and then you could certainly omit it because it's probably just there for nutritional reasons in that case but if your recipe is something like a raw veggie burger or a raw bread and it has flax it's going to need that in order to stick together 
Now, another, not as common, but it does work. It maybe doesn't work quite as well as a binding agent, but ground chia seeds. I do see that used in some recipes as well as psyllium husk. So generally, those are some main binding agents. But something you can do frequently as well is you can play with that a little bit. And let's say you're trying to make a recipe simpler, you're making a veggie burger, you don't really like flax, well maybe you can try to reduce the amount of flax in that recipe to, so that the flavor isn't as strong. And of course you will have some successes and failures when you're doing this, but this is giving you a general idea of how these substitutions are working. So that's kind of the main food groups I wanted to talk about. So that was sweeteners, thickeners, creamy creaminess and binders um creamers maybe they're supposed to be called creamers i'm figuring these things out so that was kind of the first section i think maybe we'll leave that right now without overwhelming you with too many food groups and maybe we'll look at the second section here which i'm really just terming easy rules so for me i think when i see a long complicated recipe here are some of the easy rules I say to myself right away. And again, this is where we're really trying to make very basic, simple base ingredient, or sorry, base recipes, like a basic bread recipe, a basic salad dressing recipe that can be tweaked a little bit later down the line. But firstly, when I see a very complicated recipe, one of the first things that I think can be eliminated for me is spices. When I see a quarter teaspoon of cinnamon, a quarter teaspoon cloves, a quarter teaspoon allspice, a quarter teaspoon pumpkin pie spice, I see all these little quarter teaspoons of everything and I'm like, goodbye quarter teaspoons, I don't need you. Because for me, what I like to do with spices, I enjoy spices and I'm not saying that they don't impact the flavor. When I'm trying to just simplify and get to the base concept of a recipe, I pretty much eliminate most spices. You'll notice in most of my recipes, the majority of them anyway, there's very, very few spices. And I do this, let's take a cracker recipe actually. Maybe the cracker recipe will have like some almonds and some veggies and maybe I usually use salt in almost every recipe and we all know that that sort of enhances all of the flavors and I usually I don't omit salt but I'm not going to tell you to put in to your cracker recipe a quarter teaspoon basil a quarter teaspoon rosemary a quarter teaspoon thyme you know I want to give you a basic cracker recipe and then you can play with the flavors. You know you're using a safe recipe that's a good base. And then if you love basil, why don't you just try to add a teaspoon of dry basil in there? So for me, when I try to simplify, I just eliminate almost all of the herbs right away in my head. Secondly, I want to point you to the idea of substituting nuts and or sometimes you'll see a recipe that might call for quarter cup pumpkin seeds, quarter cup sunflower seeds, one cup almonds, quarter cup walnuts. When I see a whole slew of different types of nuts, now I'm not saying that these recipes aren't good and definitely they'll all have a subtle flavor that's different and that's amazing. But again, the point of this is to talk about how to simplify complicated recipes 
if you feel you need to. And for me, I do feel I need to because I can't handle too many too many ingredients. So what you really want to become familiar with is which nuts. What is that Sesame Street song? Like, you know, which of these is not like the other? There's different types of nuts. And I will just point you to episode podcast episode five called Nut Substitutions. And uh, that episode really goes into detail about which nuts can easily be interchanged and seeds as well. But I'll just touch on the basics here. Like, for example, it all depends on... I think I had them categorized into three categories. We have flour-like nuts, which I like F-L-O-U-R. So when you grind them up, they almost just become like flour. So that might be almonds, for example. They don't have a lot of oil in them. They're just, they just become almost like flour when you grind them up. But then we have the oilier nuts like almond, no, sorry, <laughs> like walnuts or pecans, or even, let's say, pumpkin seeds, for example, they kind of fall into that group. So there's these types of nuts and seeds that are a lot oilier. So if you see a recipe that calls for half a cup of walnuts and half a cup of pecans, I know for most intents and purposes, you can just use one cup of walnuts or one cup of pecans. Hopefully you're following along with me here. So I, I won't go into too much detail with that. And then just the third type of nut is a creamy nut. So that goes back to our creaminess factor in the first section there. But creamy nuts might be cashews, macadamia nuts, pine nuts. These are the nuts that are incredibly creamy. So usually you can substitute within those groups, but you don't want to, like, for example, let's say you are trying to make a sort of cheesecake thing that has a very creamy white cheesecake filling well it's not going to be the same if you try to use sunflower seeds instead of cashews but you could probably get away with macadamia nuts instead because they're so similar to cashews so really i would direct you for further info on that to episode five of the raw food podcast which goes into great detail about nuts but basically there's just those three food groups and you can kind of sub three nut groups and you can substitute within the groups um, but you don't necessarily want to substitute uh, between the groups oh my gosh this is getting complicated and but so that was an easy rule so you want to you can easily eliminate your herbs if you know your basic nut groups you can play within those nut groups very easily and another reason you might want to do that is I know the prices of nuts and seeds fluctuate a lot I know that pine nuts for example are crazy expensive here in North America I know that sunflower seeds are very inexpensive so sometimes you can substitute those instead of almonds or, for example, some people would have a, a nut allergy, but they can eat seeds. So they might do sunflower seeds instead of um, almonds, for example. But anyway, that's the basic concept of those nut substitutions. And I have a lot of more info on that in on my website. And now another basic one is it's very basic, but it's it's easy. I'm calling it similar texture. And I'm going to give you two examples. I'm going to give you the example of dried fruit. And then I'm going to give you an example of wet, fresh fruit. So the first would be usually dates, prunes, raisins, 
apricots, dried apricots, uh, could pretty much all be swapped out and interchanged in a recipe. Now it is going to change the recipe and we all know that a, a date is quite a bit sweeter than a dried apricot. But generally though, these have a similar texture and similar, similar-ish level of sweetness. So pretty much we know that Again, if a recipe might call for quarter cup dates, quarter cup raisins, quarter cup apricots, quarter cup prunes, then you can probably be like, mm, let's just do a half a cup of dates and a half a cup of apricots, for example. So that, that within that group, you can definitely substitute as well. And well, oh yeah, my, my wet fruit example. Well, something I've been experimenting with lately is making some really delicious refrigerator cakes that are quite simple and quite moist. And one of the things that I have been doing with that, I started out with a very nice carrot cake recipe that I'd created. And I'd made that a few times and really enjoyed it. And then I kind of altered it a bit. And instead of carrots, now that is a vegetable, but of course it's a very sweet vegetable and very wet. And I thought, got to thinking in my head, hmm, what if people don't like carrot cake? How can we make this similar, nice, spongy, moist refrigerator cake? But how can we make it without carrots? What could we use instead? And then I thought, okay, you know, similar texture, similar moistness. Let's use apples. So then I created in my members only section at therawtarian.com where I have tons of members only recipes. I have that recipe in there that I think is called apple walnut cake. So it's definitely a twist on my carrot cake recipe. But the reason I was e easily able to do that and make it turn out really well was because I knew that shredded carrot and shredded apple are quite similar, both in the level of sweetness and in the wetness and texture. So that's an example. And also zucchini is quite similar. It's not exactly the same, but to those as well. Uh, and it's not as sweet. So maybe if I was going to use zucchini instead of carrots and something in a sweet recipe, perhaps I might add bump up the sweetness a little with agave nectar or something like that. But that gives you a, a sense as well of how my brain works in the case of these substitutions. So that gives you another concept of some of the easy rules that I apply to creating my simple, satisfying raw food recipes at therawtarian.com. And I have been noticing lately as well that in my members only area, I tend to do a lot more savory recipes in there lately. And that's been really fun. And I, I, I definitely love creating recipes and um, the, what I thought I would end with on this podcast was to take you through my thought process of how I might create a simple zucchini bread recipe. Just, uh, I already have a couple of recipes that I've created, but I'm just giving this to you as an example of how you can go about creating simple recipes yourself. So the way I tend to start out is I tend to have an idea in my head or a craving of something that I want to create. And I think hmm, maybe I would like to create zucchini bread or chocolate zucchini bread or, you know, whatever. So I start with that idea. And then I don't spend a lot of time browsing other recipes, but what I would tend to do is do a quick search in the recipe books that I have or online and look at a basic sort of zucchini bread recipe, for example. And it's quite amazing at the variety of recipes that are out there and different ingredients people will use. 
But if we take a step back and we think logically about a zucchini bread, we know that there's going to be zucchini in it. We know there's going to be a sweetener in it. If it's going to be dehydrated, we know there needs to be a binding agent in it. And if we're going to put some icing on it, we know there needs to be some creaminess in the icing. So we definitely start with this, these, these ideas that we know in our head of how something is supposed to taste. So I might really, really fast, I'm talking like, I don't even know, like five minutes total, I might glance at a bunch of different recipes and notice some similarities in there. Like I might be like, ooh, okay, zucchini bread. Everybody's got zucchini. But some people are using dates as a sweetener. Some people agave nectar. Frequently, I'll even just look at like standard American diet recipes and think about what they're using, um, you know, to are they using oil or you know all these different things i'll just very briefly look at a bunch of different recipes and then i think well the zucchini bread recipe people tend to always include cinnamon like they might include allspice cloves but i like i kind of just look for the common threads of the very basic ingredients that tend to be included in it all and zucchini bread is kind of an easy example but there might be something that's more complicated like I don't know, meatloaf, like raw vegan meatloaf or, um, you know, a variety of different things. So what we kind of do is we'll look for the very, the basics. Again, what we're trying to do, we're not trying to make crazy garlic cheese bread here. We're just trying to make some white bread, to use an analogy there. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at some basic recipes and frequently most recipes are pretty complicated because it seems that a lot of people like to make a really unique recipe and so they almost go in the reverse direction so they might take a recipe that started out with say two cups of walnuts and they might add and break that up to make it more complicated whereas for me i'd go in the reverse and i might look at a complicated recipe and try to boil it down to its parts so that is one of the basic things that i start out doing um certainly it's funny sometimes people have this idea that every recipe that I create is a superstar recipe, and that is not true. I would say I am continually trying out different things, and even though I've made, you know, I've published probably just under 200 recipes, probably two out of the three recipes that I create, uh, I would I call them non-Rotarian worthy. So frequently I will create a recipe. Let's even talk about zucchini bread. And I think I've got a good idea. I've got a good handle on it of what the basic ingredients need to be. And I make it and it's not that good. And I'm like, oh man. <laughs> and then I pretty much, whenever I'm making it, I always will write down what I'm adding into it as I go along, just on a little piece of paper. And then I kind of have this little drawer where I keep these little pieces of paper because sometimes you don't even know if a recipe is a success is a success or a failure until sometimes even if you've let it sit overnight or if it needs to freeze in the freezer, oops, or if it needs to freeze in the freezer. So sometimes I will not really know until the next day, but it's all of course based on taste and frequently like i said two out of the three recipes that i tend to create in my kitchen are not that great and i pretty much throw that piece of paper away the next day or two days after once i realize that it just wasn't rotarian worthy so 
I do try to only share my successes and especially recipes that seem to be very forgiving. I think that that would be a common thing that I do. But so basically, and because I've been creating recipes for quite a while now, since 2009, I do have a really good handle on what is needed. Like sometimes you need some lemon juice or something for some acidity. And then going back to those food groups of sweeteners, thickeners, creamers, and binders. So there's definitely some experience involved there, but I would say that I think if you can just keep some of these basic rules in mind, you'll find that you'll have a really good start at trying to simplify some of your own recipes. And another thing as well, I think if you're just really early on in your raw food journey, it will be quite a bit harder for you. But as you start to make recipes and follow them by the letter and have success, you'll start to recognize some patterns. And, and I mean, a lot of raw recipes, because we're using this nice little sandbox of ingredients, you can actually get quite good quite quickly. Whereas I found with the standard American diet, um, because there's such a huge number of potential ingredients it's hard to get a better handle on it so that's one of the things that really attracted me to raw food right away was i immediately start started to feel very comfortable with the ingredients very quickly because there's such a limited number of ingredients so i hope that this episode has been helpful for you um i'm excited that this is episode 30 and i'm just really pleased to have you here with me as always i would love to hear recipe ideas that you have that you want to have for me or certainly podcast topic ideas I love that and uh, I guess without further ado I will say thank you so much for being here with me on the raw food podcast and I really encourage you to come visit me at therawtarian.com if you're not already a member of my newsletter I would love it if you could subscribe at therawtarian.com slash newsletter and Thank you so much, and I hope you have a wonderful day. You have been listening to the Raw Food Podcast with your host, The Rawtarian. Be sure to visit me at therawtarian.com, where you can browse over 100 of my absolute favorite simple, satisfying, raw vegan recipes that you'll find pretty quick to make and with just a few ingredients and that taste amazing. While you're there, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. And once you've signed up for that, you'll automatically get a PDF copy of 11 of my most favorite, most satisfying, most delicious recipes, including raw vegan Alfredo sauce, raw brownies, and a whole host of other delicious recipes that you can make at home that are raw and taste amazing. Thank you so much for joining me and I hope to hear from you very soon. And until next time, enjoy your raw adventure.